Welcome to the Birth Warrior Podcast. In each episode, we feature the stories of birth warriors, women who have persevered to find their own truth in pregnancy and birth. As you hear these women share their stories of love, autonomy, connection, and power, it is our deepest wish that you will be inspired, empowered, and supported to find your own truth. We are honored these women have stepped forward to share their personal stories and to help us remember that we all have the power to choose what is right for us. The Birth Warrior Podcast is a presentation of the Indie Birth Association and is not intended to be medical advice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Birth Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Jaden Graham, and on today's episode, we have Caitlin. Caitlin is an aspiring doula and mother of two wildlings living in the Pacific Northwest. Through her two vastly different birth stories, she learned about the limitations of regulated midwifery to trust her intuition above all else and that doctors don't always know what's best. Her birth stories offer an important lesson on the value of autonomy, informed choice, and not taking no for an answer. And I hope you all enjoy the show today. Thank you so much for listening. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Jaden. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. Um, Wherever you would like to begin your story, please do. Well, okay. Um, Really, my birth stories start back with my own birth. Um, I was born at home, actually, in the 80s. And I always grew up with this story of my home birth and just thought that was really cool even as a kid um you know telling people that they were always like surprised and and it was kind of unusual and so I always just grew up with birth being um this normal thing you know and um I always knew I wanted kids and knew that I would have a home birth most likely when I did have kids um and then when the time came, you know, there's family pressure and nervous relatives and things like that. And it was our first birth and we lived in a rental and I kind of was like, well, you know, maybe, maybe home birth isn't in the stars for this one. Maybe this first birth, um, I had found out about birth centers and um, was like, well, this sounds like a cool alternative to home birth, you know, they do all the cleanup for you. Um, they have the birth tubs and not a tiny little bathroom to squat around in. <laughs> um, in retrospect, it was kind of naive, <laughs> but I didn't know any better. And my relatives were more comfortable with that. Mm. So um, I, yeah, I found a birth center that was covered by my insurance that we had at the time. And I had watched, you know, like the business of being born and kind of thought, you know, like I knew I didn't want to be in a hospital. And I was still sort of naive, but I thought I knew what I was doing, you know, but I also was like, well, I have these midwives to put my, you know, my life in their hands, so to speak. And the main midwife at this birth center, she was a CNM. And in retrospect, I realized she was really a medwife. Um, But her assistant was a CPM. And I really connected with her. And she ended up seeing me through most of my pregnancy that our prenatal meetings was was her. And I didn't see the head midwife a whole lot. So we really connected and um, I had a great pregnancy. No, you know, no scares or anything. It was just really healthy pregnancy. Um, We had talked, you know, at our prenatals, like at one point I had brought up, you know, like what's your emergency backup plan if like we need to transfer for any reason. And and the maid midwife was, kind of brushed me off and was like, oh, no, we don't need to talk about that. That, that happens so rarely. You don't need to worry about that. So I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, went along my journey. And uh, at one point during my third trimester, I was at an exam 
and I had been feeling this bump up near my ribs. And I had kind of asked, like, hey, what, what am I feeling? You know, I, like, push on it, and it kind of pushes back. And what's up with that? <laughs> and uh, the, the midwife was like, oh, oh, that's just his butt. You know, no, no need to worry. He's just wiggling around in there. And so, you know, I kind of thought about it a little bit. But they said that, and I was like, okay, they know better than I do. Um, no big deal. And so we're going along in my pregnancy and, um, oh, you know, I made it to my due date and no labor, of course, and things were going fine though. My blood pressure was getting up there a little bit, but they weren't too worried about anything. Like they didn't try to scare me or anything, which was great. Um, and they they did offer after my due date to strip my membranes, but I kind of declined. I was like, no, I'd rather just wait for natural labor to come. And that was fine with them. And I got to um, 40 and 6 and woke up in the middle of the night with some like little cramps. And I was like, huh, oh, this wonder what that was. Went back to bed, um, woke up in the morning and my mom called me. And she was like, hey, I, she was planning on coming to the birth. I had invited her. Um, you know, I wanted my mom to be there. And she was going to stay for, you know, a week or so postpartum. And so she calls and is like, hey, I, uh, I just took the day off. I had a feeling you were going to go into labor. How are you feeling? And I was like, well, I've, I've actually had some cramps this morning. What, what was your labor like when it started? And... She told me, oh, yeah, it started out, you know, sort of crampy. And she was like, I'm going to hop in the car and head there because she was about a seven-hour drive away. And, you know, she wanted to make it in time. So she hopped in the car, and I just labored throughout the day at home. My husband and our dog were hanging out and uh, went great, really smooth. I was like, oh, wow, you know, I, I thought it would hurt more than this, and this seems doable and whatnot, you know. And about 8 p.m. in the evening, we head to the birth center. So I'd been in labor. I mean, not active labor, but, um, you know, early labor for about all day, pretty much. And it started getting more intense, at, you know, seven or so. So we decided to head to the birth center. And we get there, and they check me, and I am a seven. And this was the, the midwife that I had really connected with. She had even done, like, a childbirth class with us and whatnot. And um, she said she felt some hair. And I was like, oh, cool, okay. Um, so we labored a little bit. I, I wanted a water birth, or, you know, I had kind of had that in my mind. And so I hopped in the, the birth tub and labored a few hours, you know, I think I sort of lost track of time, but I think it was about 11 p.m. when I was sort of got, like getting to transition. And the main midwife was like, hey, do you mind if I check you, you know, check your dilation? And so I was like, um, okay, sure. And so she checks me and she makes this weird face, sort of like a scared face. And looks at the other midwife and says, um, hold on a minute. I, I'm going to go talk to your mom. Uh, you, you need to get out of the tub and I'll be right back. And I was like, what? <laughs> and in that moment, it was like, oh my gosh, like, is something wrong? Um, you know, because you're in like that labor brain. And... It wasn't, it wasn't that long of a moment, but they got me out of the tub and I didn't really know what was going on. And she went and talked to my mom and came back and said, Hey, um, we found that your baby is coming up, but first he's breech. And I, I had no idea what that meant. It was like one of the, the few things I hadn't really researched at all. And basically, whew, getting emotional sorry <laughs> um basically she told me that uh i couldn't 
have my baby there. Oh, wow. And this wasn't, this was not even a conversation that they had with you before of, of these are the possible out, like these are possible outcomes to where we would need to transfer you. That was not a conversation. Not at all. Yeah. Breach was not, not even wow. a subject. Nope. Wow. And all she would, she said, you know, like, I, it's illegal for me to deliver a breech baby here. So you can either go by ambulance or by car. And in her conversation with my mom, she, my mom was like, you need to call an ambulance now. This is a baby. And she was scared for me, you know, she didn't know either. So, um, an ambulance was called. We weren't in distress or anything. It was just, he was breech. And they didn't want me to have him there. She gave me a shot of something. I don't know what it was, but it was to stop my contractions or to slow them down. And we hopped in an ambulance. And she rode with me. Didn't really talk to me at all the whole time. I, I mean, I was strapped on my back and I was having a lot of back labor, probably because he was breech. And um, it was excruciating. It was like a 30-minute ambulance ride. But there was no conversation about, you know, what's going to happen? What do we do with breach? Nothing like that. Um, we just got to the ER. And this by now was about like one in the morning, I would say. And so the on-call OB was there and they kind of came in. And again, this was sort of blurry, but I do remember being told, um, you know, you could try to have your baby vaginally, but his head could likely get stuck and then, you know, you're in trouble. He could die was basically the gist of it. And they handed me some paperwork that, of course, I couldn't read or anything in the middle of labor and going through most almost pretty much transition this, you know, whole time excruciating contractions because I was filled with adrenaline and and fear at that point, you know. So I signed the papers and said, okay, well, you know, I want my baby to be safe, right? And so I consented to a C-section thinking, you know, that was the only really option I had. So they performed the C-section. Um, I go in like I finally get my room after the surgery and he came out just fine. He, you know, cried right away. His APGAR was like seven and nine. Um, and I, I got to see him for just a second. Like they held him up to my face and then they took him and my husband went with him. And so I didn't see him until we were back in the recovery room. And we got our room and another doctor came in, like one of the partners, not the one who did my surgery, but came in and sat me down for like a debriefing. And he told me, um, oh, you know, the surgery went really well. You have what we call a, a classical, a classic cesarean. I had no idea what that meant. It was like, oh, classic. It went well, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and then he explained to me that during the surgery, um, they made the horizontal incision, the transverse normal cesarean incision. But when they went in, she, the surgeon, she had to make an extension vertically. Um, in my operative notes, it says something to the extent like his head was flexed. And so she extended it vertically to facilitate the removal of the head. Um, and the, this doctor told me, um, you know, you'll never, you can never labor again. Any future babies, you will have to have a cesarean at 37 weeks, because if you labor, there's a 20 to 30% chance that your uterus will rupture and you or your baby could die, you know? And so I'll needless to say, I was devastated. Um, because I always thought I was going to have a home birth eventually, you know? And so 
Ugh, my hospital stay was terrible because I didn't want to be there. Um, they, they pushed formula on me because he had lost some weight and I didn't want formula. I said, no, I'm breastfeeding. Um, we're fine. Thank you. And it was just a terrible experience overall at the hospital. Um, without going into too many details. I mean, how long did you have to Sorry, stay? what's that? Oh, I said, how long did you have to stay at the hospital for? Oh, um, he was born on early Tuesday morning, and they allowed us to leave um, Thursday late afternoon. So, like, two full days. Um, I actually, they wanted us to stay another day, but we had kept asking, can we go home? Can we go home? <laughs> and um, I, I had tested GBS positive, um, during my pregnancy, but was not, had not planned on taking antibiotics. Um, I, because I was with the midwives, I chose not to, and they, they were fine with that. And, but at the hospital, that was like, oh my gosh, you know, your baby might have GBS. And so they made us put a, you know, a hep block in his hand just in case. Um, and it was, of course, the hand that he had been sucking on in utero. So he kept trying to suck on his hand and couldn't. And I kept asking, can we get this out? He's, he's fine. You know, can we get this out? And they're like, well, later today, later today, or, you know, and then later that day would come and I would ask again and they'd be like, well, just maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. And just kind of kept stringing us along with things like that. And, and they finally, when they finally let us leave Thursday and my milk had not come in, but he was satisfied. I knew he was getting something, you know, I, I didn't know a lot about colostrum, but I knew there was something there. And within an hour of getting home, it was really funny. My, my milk came in. It was like, all I needed was just to be home and not being stressed out by hospital staff every two hours, you know, wait, waking you up as soon as you fall asleep. And like, ugh, it was just chaos. Um, so, and my milk came in just fine and breastfeeding was great. We had no issues whatsoever, which that was sort of one of the things that saved me a little bit. Um, just because at least that wasn't a struggle. Um, and I was, I was sort of in shock after the, the surgery and everything. And, um, my postpartum was a little chaotic as well because two two weeks after he was born we found out our rental was going to be sold in the spring and he was born right before christmas but they didn't our landlords didn't want to tell us before the holiday and they knew we were having a baby and they didn't want to like stress us out so they waited but the the rental market was really tough and we decided that we would buy a house and so we ended up moving with in with in-laws um, freshly postpartum, you know, about, about, he was about three months old when we moved in actually. Um, and so my realization that I had experienced a traumatic birth didn't come till a little later, I think, than maybe normally because I had a lot of things going on and I kind of couldn't even think about it. But I, um, I ended up getting an extra, um, extra maternity time with him about six months. I was home with him postpartum, which was actually really nice. Um, even though we were looking for a home to buy and that was a little chaotic, but I got that extra postpartum time with him after he was born. And I kind of dove into birth research at that point because I was like, you know, what is this scar I have? what is breech birth about? Um, and I didn't, I didn't ever have much trust in hospitals. So I kind of questioned what they had told me in the first place. And very soon after that, I found this group called special scars. And I, they were like, they started as like a Yahoo group and I kind of found them through that and then found out they had a Facebook group and joined that and found all these amazing women who had scars similar to me. 
And many of them had gone on to have amazing births, home births, you know, VBACs. And that opened up a world to me that I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. Like, you know, there is another way. Yeah. And so yeah. through that group, um, I met this really cool mom who had actually done an interview on the Indie Birth podcast. And she had a scar very similar to mine. She had one of the longest known vertical extensions and had gone on to have a home birth. Um, and that podcast episode, like, that did it for me. I just knew at that point, I was like, I'm going to have a home birth. If I have another kid, I'm going to have a home birth. And so, of course, I listened to every single podcast um, on any birth that I could find. And just became kind of obsessed <laughs> with birth. And um, I found the breach organization, the breach without borders and watched all the breach birth videos I could find. And, you know, when I remember in the moment when he was, when we found out he was breach, I like tried to picture him coming out backwards. And I was just like, I couldn't, I couldn't picture it. And it was because I had never seen a video of it, you know, but once you see them, you realize like, wow, that, you know, that seems fairly simple. They just come out, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I decided, you know, if I have another breech baby, because I had learned that, you know, if you have one breech, you're slightly more likely to have another. And I wanted to explore that and, you know, find out what, you know, I would do if I had that again. Um, and realized in retrospect that if someone had told me that I could push out a breech baby that first time, I, I would have opted for that. Um, so anyway, where was I going? <laughs> so two years comes around postpartum and we decide, okay, my husband and I decide, okay, maybe we want another baby. But I had kind of never really closed um, my experience with my midwives. They they did my six-week postpartum visit, and I felt like I felt like they were ashamed um, because it was just a mistake, you know, like an innocent mistake, really, um, because they did think he was head down the whole time. And so I decided to contact the midwife I, had, I was closer with and reached out to her and she kind of said, hey, you know, I'm happy to meet with you if you need to let out your anger or yell at me or whatever. And I was kind of like, what? <laughs> no, I really just want to talk to you and like talk about what happened and kind of close that um, part of my life. Mm -hmm. And so she came to my house and we had this great, she stayed for hours and we talked, we cried and we talked about breech birth and she w turned out it, she was really supportive of breech birth actually, but she just hadn't said anything about it. <laughs> and she had actually left that practice after my birth because the main midwife accused her of purposefully not disclosing that I had a breech baby. Wow. And, and that, that wasn't what had happened really, but the main midwife thought she had done it on purpose so that I would have like an accidental breach um, because she knew she was breach supportive. And so she ended up leaving um, because she didn't feel welcome there anymore, um, mostly due to my birth. And she started her own practice. Um, and so, you know, we talked about that because she still had, you know, it was, it was cathartic for both of us, I think, to, to just close that um, part of our lives because it yeah. had really affected her life too. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't realized that at all. Um, and so, you know, I told her I'm going to try for a home birth and this is what I found out that, it, you know, it's illegal in my state for midwives, licensed midwives to attend my kind of VBAC because of my scar. And so like they can attend a normal cesarean be back, but because I have this extra extension, uh, they can get in trouble if they do. 
So I knew this and went in and decided to talk to an OB that was supposedly really VBAC supportive because I was like exploring my options, you know, before I got pregnant. And so I went to this OB that like the ICANN had recommended um, and I spoke with her. It was, gosh, maybe a 15 minute meeting. She looked at my surgery notes. She said, I'll call your surgeon and just talk to her and see what she says. And and it, said, it says at the bottom of my operative report, not a candidate for VBAC in big, bold letters. But it doesn't really say how long my scar extension is or anything specific about it in, in my report. So she kind of wanted to find out, you know, from the surgeon who did it, um, a little more detail. So I leave. She calls me about 10 minutes later and is like, yeah, I'm sorry, I can't support... Um, your VBAC, you know, the surgeon said your scar extends too far up into the fundus and yada, yada, yada. And so I was in tears in the car after that and drove home. And I just decided at that point, like, okay, I'm doing this, you know, I'm on my own then. And I'm going to find somebody who will support me. And so I had reached out to my old midwife again. I was like, hey, you know, like, do you know anyone who does things like this? Like, I had no idea, you know, who I was looking for really, but I knew if anyone knew, she she would know. And so she finds me the number of this midwife, this like elder midwife who happened to just live an hour away from me, but she was a traveling midwife, goes all over the country. She's even been to the Bahamas attending births and she specialized in VBACs and had attended special scar births and twin births and all these amazing home births, you know? And so I met with her when I was about oh, 10 weeks pregnant um, because we got pregnant shortly after um, I had met with my old midwife and decided I was going to do this. And we, yeah, we got pregnant like the month after we decided to start trying. It was like really quick. And I was like, oh my gosh, I got to find somebody now. Like, I'm going to call this lady. And we met with her and, and she was really cool. It was really down to earth. Um, she had opened one of the first birth centers in Anchorage, Alaska back in like the 60s. And so she had been attending births for almost 40 years. And um, she said, yeah, you know, uh, I have, she had a twin birth due like shortly after my due date, but she agreed to attend my birth. And so the way she worked was because she travels and is out of town a lot, she wanted me to see um, another care provider on the side. So I had found through my, I, I had seen a naturopath through my last pregnancy and she was also a chiropractor and she had a friend who was a naturopath and a midwife who had a birth center, um, in my town. And so she's told me, go talk to her, um, you know, and see what she says. And so I went to see this gal and she was amazing. She was, she understood my circumstances. She looked into it and was like, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. I can't attend your birth at home because of your scar, but I will, see you for your prenatals. And, you know, I had told her, I found this midwife that will attend my birth, but I need, you know, some prenatal care. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to do an ultrasound at 20 weeks, you know, to look at my scar just because I was a little nervous about like, you know, all that s scare that they put into you about uterine rupture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And in my research about special scars, the, the group I was in, um, gosh, they have a great, just a library of information on the research, the little research that has been done on unusual uterine scars. And it turned out that the actual rupture rate is less than 2%. It's like 1.9%. It's considered the same risk as like a two cesarean VBAC mom. And so that doctor that told me 20 to 30% had just blatantly made up a number and lied to me. Man, that's so messed up. So, oh and yeah, and there's this interesting thing in like the medical world that like, 
instead of saying you have a 98% chance of success, they say, well, there's this 2% chance that your uterus could rupture. But they don't also tell you that of that 2% chance, the, the morbidity rate is even less than that. And most uterine ruptures don't end in a fatality. But of course, they don't emphasize those parts. <laughs> you have to find that out on your own doing, yeah. doing research. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I, w I, went, I went to this midwife and she was doing my prenatals. Um, we had the ultrasound, they couldn't even really see my scar, you know, because the reality is like, they can't see a whole lot on those, you know, and they want to check because they think it's going to help, but really, I don't know. It, it was fruitless really. <laughs> and, but that made me feel good because at least, you know, they couldn't see anything wrong with it. I did have an anterior placenta, um, but it was above my scar, so they they didn't scare me with any, you know, placenta accreta or anything like that. Um, and my pregnancy went well. I um, they wanted to do another ultrasound near the end of my pregnancy just to check again on my scar, I think it was, but um, it was getting towards the holidays and I had an, an appointment at 35 weeks and my fundus had grown like more than they thought it should have. So she wanted me to get an ultrasound a little early because she was worried about too much amniotic fluid. Um, and so at that point I reached out, I had sort of been in contact with the traveling midwife who was going to attend my birth off and on through text message and whatnot. But, um, I didn't have a whole lot of questions for her. So I kind of didn't, you know, talk to her a whole lot other than when I had an appointment. So I tried to reach out to her when I had this little scare of the amniotic, amniotic fluid and she didn't reply. And I was kind of like, okay, and I reached out again through another method, like social media or something, and no reply. And, you know, I'm coming up on 36 weeks, and it's the holidays, and I'm like, okay, well, maybe she's busy. And, and no response for a week, two weeks. And so I reached out to my old midwife again, who had recommended her. <laughs> because at this point, I was sort of in a, a panic, like, I... I wanted to talk to her before that ultrasound. I ended up getting the ultrasound and nothing was wrong whatsoever. So it was a panic over nothing really. But my midwife was not responding. It was supposed to be at my birth in about a month. So my old midwife reached out to her and it turned out she had gotten, I, I knew she had an autoimmune disorder when we went into this, but she had gotten an ear infection or sinus infection and had ended up in the hospital. And she finally reached out when my old midwife contacted her and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been really ill. And I'm like, okay, but uh, you're supposed to attend my birth in a month, you know? And she had told me early on that, you know, if anything came up, if the twin birth coincided with my birth and she couldn't come, she would have a backup. But I hadn't really asked her like who or anything. And so I asked her like, okay, well, um, you know, if, if you're still sick in a month, like, do you have, you know, who, who do you have as a backup? And she was like, oh, um, no, you know, I, I don't really, but she hadn't, she hadn't full on told me, you know, like what the plan was. <laughs> and about, oh gosh, it must've been a week or two later, she contacts me and says, I'm so sorry. I am not going to be able to attend your birth. I, I have to, you know, back out of my agreement with you. And get, I'll, I'll give you, you know, we had paid her a deposit and she was like, I'll give you your, you know, deposit and everything, of course. And I was said, okay, well, so, you know, who can you recommend? 
She said, oh, well, I don't really have anyone, but you'll find someone. I know you will. And I was kind of like, what? Wow. Um, wow. Oh, and so this was, must have been around, oh, sorry. Oh, I was just saying, this was so sorry. That's so frustrating. That sounds so frustrating. Yeah, and, you know, you don't yeah. want to stress out at the end of your pregnancy about, like, things like, who's going to attend my birth? But I was thrown into social media again because I, I didn't know where to look. I was at a loss. You know, I had this lady. I had, like, dotted all my I's and crossed all my T's, I thought. And then all of a sudden I'm without someone to attend my birth. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I was kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe I just doing this on my own. Maybe we're just supposed to have a free birth. And I kind of like joked with my husband about it a little bit and who had been extremely supportive, mind you, the whole time, you know, he, he supported my decisions and what I wanted to do. And, oh, I should hop back a little bit right before my midwife ghosted me. I had met a doula through a friend um, was like, hey, reach out to this lady. She's a new doula. She does photography. And I had thought about getting a photographer for my birth, but we didn't really have the finances for it because we were spending all more money than we even had on this midwife to have an out-of-hospital birth. So I hadn't really considered it, but she was a new doula, and we really hit it off. I met her, and she had never attended a home birth or a VBAC, but she was really excited and I wanted photos. And so I was like, okay, we made a deal that she would be there mostly for photos, but you know, as a doula as well. And so I, you know, she was looking for midwives for me too. <laughs> Once I lost this midwife, I'd only known her a couple weeks, but, um, and I reached out in one of my birth groups, which I have a love hate relationship with social media like most people, I think, but I really don't know what I would have done without those avenues of communication in my birth journey, really. Like it was vital for me in finding people who worked outside the system. And I ended up, you know, discovering that there's a whole world of these, you know, birth workers who work autonomously and outside of the you know legalized midwifery system and this gal reached out to me in one of the groups she lived in about three hours away from me but she said i don't want you to be stressed out in the end of your pregnancy if you don't find anyone um you know let's talk and i will, can be your backup and so we chatted um just by phone and this was probably about 37 weeks or so and I had found a few other people in the area but nobody had really gotten back to me because it was so last minute that most people are booked right mm -hmm. and busy with other births so I chatted with this gal and it turned out she was a cesarean for breach mom who had become a midwife in the next state over from me and she was licensed in that state but because she wasn't licensed in my state she could she could be a traditional midwife and attend my birth and once i met her and talked to her like she she came down like a week after talking to me she came down brought me a birth pool was like here you can borrow this um you know, we hit it off like instantly. She, she told me, I, I don't think I can charge you because of the, the situation that we're in. And legally, I don't think I can charge you for attending your birth, but, um, you know, I, I would like to charge you for like my expenses, my travel expenses and whatnot. And like, whatever you can, you know, do to, you know, to compensate me. So I was like, yeah, perfect. Okay, that's yeah. great. And so she came down like the, the three hour drive she made like twice in that month before I um, went into labor. And 
yeah, she was, it, she was amazing. She was like sent from above. I don't even know how it worked out, but it was just meant to be. And it, um, so I guess onto this, my labor, I had hit, um, hit my due date kind of knew, you know, I wasn't going to have a baby before my due date, just because last time I had kind of resigned myself to not worry about it. And by 40 weeks, I was just kind of like, ah, I'm never going into labor, you know? <laughs> and I hit 40 and six, just the same day, you know, gestation that I went into labor with my first. And I was about to go to bed. It was about midnight and I felt a little cramp. I was like, oh, weird. But I kind of like psyched myself out because I had thought about it that day. Like, oh, this was the date I, you know, the day I would have gone into labor with my first and didn't think that would happen, of course, because I was never going to have this baby. And <laughs> um, sure enough, I couldn't go to sleep that night. And it really, it labor had started on the exact same gestation of my first and um, so I kind of started timing the contractions a little bit just because I wanted to, like, I really was in disbelief that it was actually happening and tried to get some sleep on the couch. But a few hours in, my contractions were already like eight minutes apart and pretty consistent. Um, so I kind of rang my midwife and was like, hey, I think this is the real deal. Um, and since she was three hours away, she was like, okay, thank you. I'm going to get an hour of sleep and then I'll hit the road. And I contacted my doula a few hours later. Um, she got there about 8 a.m. And we had been getting the birth pool all set up and ready because my contractions had kept, it was like textbook. It went from eight minutes apart to you know, seven minutes apart, five minutes apart. And by about, oh, nine or so, um, I wanted to get in the birth pool. So we hopped in there. We ran our hot water tank empty, <laughs> trying to fill it up. And so when the midwife got there, she got there shortly after like 9 a.m., when I had gotten in the pool. And so my husband was boiling pots of water to keep the pool warm because we had no water in the tank. And I was just laboring away in the tub. Um, and I had him three hours after the midwife got there, um, right in the middle of the day, just after noon. And uh, pushing was amazing. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it, but he, I, I, you know, he, I felt the ring of fire, like about three times it felt like. And by the third time I kind of looked at my midwife and was like, is he going to fit? You know, like I was in transition, but I came to that moment of like doubt, you know, like it's like never done this. Is he gonna come out? Is he gonna fit? Or am I just gonna keep having this ring of fire over and over again? And I started feeling the you know, the urge to push every contraction and just kind of let my body do what it needed to do. And at, at a certain point there was one huge contraction. His head was so close to coming out. And I kind of just went with it, roared, and I went somewhere. I blacked out, kind of. And the next thing I knew, I heard the midwife saying, here, grab your baby. And he had, his head had come out, and then the rest of him just slipped right out. And I opened my eyes, and she was handing him to me out of the water. And I was, the picture I sent you, I was just sort of in shock. that, like, oh my god, I did it. Like... I can't believe it actually happened. You know, I got my home birth. Um, and, oh, we all cried. It was amazing. It turned out it was um, a really cool experience for my midwife, too, because one of her first births she had attended was a T-scar, an inverted T like mine. 
and it was one of her friends that she had supported. And so like, I, I guess that scar was really close to her heart too. And so we all just, you know, were in tears and of happiness and, oh, it was amazing. And I had kind of not talked to my mom a whole lot that last month of pregnancy because I didn't want to worry her. She was one of the only people that I had told that we were having a home birth. We didn't even really tell my, my husband's parents because we knew they would worry, especially because I had a cesarean before, you know, and we kind of just told them, yeah, we, we've got it figured out, you know, we'll, we'll let you know when he's here. <laughs> and we kind of just kept it to ourselves. But um, right at the same time I had lost my, my first midwife, my mom had started bugging me about like, you know, like, if there's no shame in going to the hospital if you need to, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I kind of told her, Mom, I'm not going to answer the phone anymore. I will let you know when he's here, but I don't need this stress. Because I didn't tell her that I had gone through losing my midwife and all this stuff was going on. And I was already stressed about it. And then I think she had talked to my brother because he had reached out and like said, you know, if you need help paying for the hospital, if you need to go to the hospital, like don't let money stop you kind of thing. And I was like, no, it's not about that. (laughs) And then at one point my dad had sent me just a, a letter that wasn't really a letter. It was just an envelope with, um, some like medical VBAC research about, you know, the risks of VBAC. And it was just like, okay, I don't need this either. But all these people were trying to just insert, you know, their fear into this situation. And I just, I couldn't do it. So I just kind of stopped answering the phone. Mm-hmm. And then when he was born, you know, I called everyone and let them know. And my mom had a cold, so she couldn't come visit for about two weeks. But it ended up being the best postpartum we just hung out around the house like after the birth my husband was so cute we we were crawling into bed you know just a few hours after having this baby and he looked over and was like wow this is really nice we don't have to go anywhere we're not at a hospital like and you know he had been really supportive but he realized you know after that it was just like wow this is a world of difference from the last time um and yeah, it was just amazing. There was a huge snowstorm right after, so nobody could even come visit, like, driving if they wanted to. <laughs> so we just had a really quiet couple of weeks to ourselves without any visitors. Um, I, I will add, he had, um, he breastfed right away after um, his birth, but the next day, his latch was excruciating. And I didn't know, you know, I, well, I didn't, I did know because I was tongue tied when I was born. And so I kind of knew that that was a possibility with my children. And if I hadn't breastfed my first, I don't know that I would have known that was the reason, but because I knew what breastfeeding should feel like, I knew that there was something wrong, you know? And so I had my midwife check him and he had a really severe tongue tie and was not latching well and felt like he was ripping my nipple off. (laughs) It was horrible. So we did end up getting that revised um, within like the first week of his birth. And after that breastfeeding, um, you know, we we got it revised, but we got got some craniosacral therapy that really helped. Like he had some tightness in one side, like he had kind of been squished one direction um, when he was inside me. But that really helped. And after that, he breastfed like a champ. He's two and a half and still not wanting me to wean him. (laughs) We're working on it right now. (laughs) But he's not very into it. So I don't know how long we'll breastfeed. But yeah, it uh, it was an amazing VBAC experience to have after the trauma of my first birth. And I hadn't even realized, um, you know, until about a year after my first birth that I was dealing with some PTSD and stuff from that. Um, But after my second birth, it was like, all of that disappeared. I felt 
like I got my mama mojo back or something. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> that's super special. Oh, Caitlin, thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm I'm so happy for you that you got that. I'm I'm genuinely very happy for you that you got your back that you so desired. So awesome. Um, yeah. And is there any last parting words of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Oh, well, um, gosh, I don't know. Both, both of my stories are kind of an example of listen, listen to your intuition. Don't just brush it off. <laughs> listen to it and know that doctors don't always know best and what's best for your body. Only you can decide really. Um, I guess that's just the message I want to get out that, um, yeah, that only you can decide what's best for you. And one really cool little side note, um, my, my VBAC home birth happened the same day that Marin, um, from Indie Birth was in labor with her ninth baby. They share a birthday and I thought that was really cool. And right after that, his birth, Indie Birth announced their Birth Warrior program for doula training. And it was just a sign to me, like, I need to get into birth work. At that point, when that training came up, and the training ended, like, right before his first birthday, and it was just, like, a sign that I knew this was my calling and that I had to do something about it, you know. So I'm passionate now about birth education and and teaching women about their bodies, you know, like we, we're not taught enough about our bodies and knowing ourselves. We're not taught to trust ourselves, you know, because we're always looking to professionals or the medical system, you know, to, to tell us what's wrong when, when really most of the time we can tell ourselves, I think. Yeah. And so I guess that's just one of my little side takes from it well right on that's that's amazing to hear too and um yeah blessings to you on your path with that too and um yeah hope it hope the future the future ahead looks uh or hope the future ahead is uh bright and full of a lot of birth in your future and a lot of like women um and a lot of other women um coming to you and you meeting them where they're at as well, and um, just um, sharing your knowledge. And that's such a beautiful place. Thank you so much for doing that work too. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank you, Caitlin. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Storytelling is a profound agent of change, one that has the ability to plant seeds of inspiration introspection, and beyond. If you have an empowering birth story that you would like to share on our podcast, please head over to IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior to send your submissions. That's IndieBirth.org forward slash birth warrior. Hope you have a beautiful week wherever you are in the world. Until next time, friends.